Uh, as Christian mentioned, uh, me and him share an office. Uh, so I work part-time, uh, two days a week for G2 as a student worker. And um, before I got into my talk, I just wanted to say what um, an absolute privilege it is to be the student worker here and to serve the church and looking after all the students. Um, chances are you probably will serve coffee by a student today. You might be working with by a student. Your kids might be looked after by students right now. And um, I've been at a training event the last couple of days where we've been exploring the legacy of student work, looking where we've been and where we're going with students. And there's an absolutely phenomenal legacy here at G2 with our students. And many of you in this room may have gone to uh, Uni of York or York St. John in the last like, 10 years and stayed on. Uh, we've got many students in the room, but I think it's absolutely incredible um, the student ministry we have here and the guys that have really pioneered that. And it's a privilege to be a part of that. Amazing. So, as Christian said, we're continuing our series of uh, Simply Good News. And this is the last one in the series. And we're going to look at the question of uh, life to the full. So our last two weeks with Ben and Holly, we looked at uh, what it means to be a restored creation and what it means to have freedom from sin. And this week, we're looking at life to the full. And I think, for me, life to the full is often one of those stop responses when people say, but why are you a Christian? Why actually do you, do you go to church? It's like, oh, you know... It's, Life to the full. That's what it is. And we never quite fully expand what that means. We never quite go into it. We quote it a lot. We know it well. But we never quite fully expand what life to the full actually is. So I thought, with my research in this, I thought I'd ask G2 what life to the full is. So I've got some anonymous responses. I messaged around a bunch of people across G2 and said, how would you define life to the full? So we're going to hear a few of those answers now. I won't name names and I won't choose favourites. I promise. So the first response was, life to the full is taking every opportunity that comes your way and seeing God opportunities in all areas of your life. Life to the full is being and feeling fully present. Life to the full is knowing God completely and being fully known by each other. Life to the full is living beyond the natural with God's supernatural spirit moving through us in the everyday. Life to the full is doing the things you want to and not just letting the days go by. And so I, I tell you that I have got a favourite there. Uh, my favourite is life to the full is knowing God completely and being fully known to each other. And as I read that list out, you probably would have thought that would be my favourite one. You probably would have thought life to the full is more of an adventure. When we picture life to the full, it's excitement, it's energy, it's do, it's go, excitement. And uh, one of the quotes I found on life to the full was, uh, by Michael Louis Tomlinson, uh, most commonly known in the old people in the room, has been from One Direction. So I'm not sure if you expected theology in One Direction when you came here, but that's what we're going to go for. <laughs> so Louis Tomlinson said that life to the full is about living life for the moment because everything else is uncertain. And apparently, if you want to live life for the moment, you've got to go and make cheap pop songs. So that's not quite how I'd live at the moment, but that's, that works for Louis, which is great. And life to the full is very hard to understand in our culture because this word of fullness and of living life to the full completely contradicts our culture, which is all about more. It's all about doing more things, having more of stuff. And um, for me, church, this plays out in um, it's kind of a personal, personal issue. So I'm going to get a bit vulnerable, a bit real with you. Um, I've got a bit of an addiction uh, to shreddies. So I love shreddies. I actually brought some with me today in case I got a bit hungry. So if I decide that I want some shreddies, I can get a bit peckish pop them out any time and um, for me with shreddies it's not just one more bowl of shreddies it's one more box of shreddies <laughs> I love munch food and I like when shreddies dry I'm that guy 
For me, shreddies is just, I just have to have one more. I have to have more. It's so tasty. so good. If you never try shreddies, you never try them, they're knitted by Nanas, is the advertising campaign. So you know they're good. They've been invested in by Joyce and Betty and all those. But shreddies may not be the just one more for you. You'll just want more. Maybe one more scroll for Instagram. Maybe, maybe one more chocolate bar. One more jumper that you don't really need. It could even be one more late night angry tweet. Like my friend Donald here. CNN is so embarrassed. 3 3 a.m. That's what he's tweeting. And he keeps on going. Donald keeps on tweeting more and more late at night, offending more people. And we see this so much in our culture. We see it with Netflix. Uh, for those who don't have Netflix, when you finish an episode, it automatically starts doing the next episode because it knows you're not full. It knows that you want more. It knows that you need to watch more to enjoy yourself more. And then when you finish the series, it suggests other series you might like. You can never complete it. You can never finish Netflix. You never get full on it. You've always got to have more. Or maybe it's a bigger issue for you. Maybe it's wanting a better car, a better job, a bigger house, a promotion, something like that. And this idea of more comes out of this culture that we have, which is built on these lives of comparison and these lives of seeing that more is better. We see in adverts and billboards all the time that we miss out on things, that we're missing out on a drink that we could drink, a place that we could go to, a film that we should see. If we don't see it, we're missing out. You've got to do more. You've got to go see this, go see that, in order to feel better about your life. And this is something that Jesus confronts um, in confronting his culture in John 10 which is a passage that has complete relevance for us in understanding this tension between more and full and exposing some of the lies of his culture. So it's going to pop up on the screen now. I'm just going to read it out for us. Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, so this thief, when we think about this passage, just to clarify, he's of the devil. So often as Christians, when we read this Bible, we think the thief is a devil. The thief is the false teachers and the Pharisees who Jesus is actually talking to as he gives his teaching. So Jesus is looking at these guys face to face who are like the religious leaders of the day and saying, You thieves. So be like a Christian who said, You're a thief. You come to rob, kill, and destroy. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite bold. So as we read this passage, be aware how offensive this is. Uh, think, imagine that picture of going up to a religious leader and saying, you're a thief, and accusing him of all this stuff. A bit of context for that. So it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill. This word kill translates as sacrifice and destroy. Whereas I have come, they may have life and have it to the full. Have it to fullness, often otherwise translated by as abundance or overflowing. Um, full always beats more. And this fullness is placed by Jesus as a direct comparison to the life of the first, these false teachers, these Pharisees are professing. Jesus is saying, the life that I've got is, is full. It's more than abundant and it's comparatively better than what you guys are trying to say to people. Jesus goes on. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, that's the false teachers, is not the shepherd and he does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. 
and I lay down my life, I sacrifice myself for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life and to take it up again. In this teaching here, Jesus goes on to say, sorry, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. And when Jesus gave this teaching, the initial response of the audience were, this guy's either possessed by a, a demon or he's start raving mad. They didn't make sense, they didn't understand that. But this covenant we've been doing, this thing we've been following, these laws and this Old Testament, that was all great, but now he's telling it's completely different. It's talking about sheep and shepherds and life and sacrifice. It doesn't make sense to them. And Jesus comes in and says, now come to bring life to the full. And he says directly, life to the full is knowing him. Straight after verse 10, let's get the previous slide. It says about it being the shepherd and his followers being sheep. Jesus says that having life to full is knowing him as our shepherd. And what's interesting about Jesus as a shepherd is that he says that he, he lays down his life for the sheep. He's willing to face death and sacrifice himself for the sheep. That, I, if, I don't know about you, but I'd say that's, that's a pretty good shepherd. I don't know how many shepherds or farmers I'll say that would die for their sheep. That's quite bold to die for a sheep. Like You must really like roast lamb if you're willing to let your life go so that people can eat some sheep. That's big. That's huge. And what's more than that, as a shepherd, he says that the sheep know him in the same way that Jesus knows God. So Jesus, as the Son of God, knows God to such deep level that we can have that same relationship with him. That's an absolute abundance of relationship. That's such an incredibly deep level of connection that Jesus promises when he says that we can have life to the full. And this teaching that Jesus gives uh, in John 10 is given in the context of the Israelites and the Jewish people following the, the covenant, the law of Moses, um, which God gives to the Israelites right at the start of the Bible um, in the old books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. I won't give you the law and the covenant today because you will fall asleep. It is, it is quite heavy going. Um, and this, continent, this covenant sorry, isn't necessarily a wrong thing or a bad thing. Um, it's basically, set, basically it was God setting out his standards for his people. So it was, if you want to uh, obey my commands, here's what you've got to do. If you want to be righteous, here's what you've got to do. And this covenant centred on a lot of offerings and sacrifices. So it was in order to kind of appease God, in order to uh, be righteous and in good standing with him, he had to uh, sacrifice a goat for this, sacrifice a bull for this. It was very specific instructions on what you had to do. Um, it's a covenant that's built all around do, 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 and more, more, more. And then Jesus comes in and carries a message of done. And he says, stop. Know me. Know me like a sheep knows a shepherd. He lays down his life and surrenders himself in order to fulfil the law, to end our need to justify ourselves, to end our need to earn righteousness, and to say, come and know me. Come and have fullness of life in knowing me. He's speaking to the Pharisees and saying, this approach you have of your way is best, your way is better, which is similar to what we said of our culture, of you need to do this, you're missing out on this, you need this job, you need this life, translates today. He's saying life to full is more than abundantly better than that. It's a direct comparison. He's saying what you've got, what I've got, this is far better, and you can't really argue with that. That's how Jesus goes in. And that's offensive. That comes across a bit arrogant, and that comes across as scandalous. It was scandalous for them back then. 
Because they translated it as Jesus saying that he was the Messiah. Jesus saying that he knows God as his Father. And the Jews, the Pharisees present, go on to try and stone Jesus. Because he said to them, I'm the Messiah. It's the second time he's ever made a, a blasphemous statement in, 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 his, uh, in his teachings. And it's completely scandalous for them. And I think it's equally offensive, equally scandalous for us now. Because it says to us that knowing Jesus having a full life... Um, comes from resting relationship. So it says that life in all its fullness isn't about proving yourself, isn't about adventure, isn't about doing this, doing that. It comes in rest and relationship and knowing Jesus. And all the things that the world may offer will never be better than him. Yes, Jesus promises eternal life. He says that when, for these sheep, if they listen to his voice, if they know him and follow him, he'll give them eternal life. He gives them that hope. gives us a hope for heaven and for that life. But... Heaven isn't just great because it's all sunshine and rainbows and angels and choirs and whatever your stereotypical pictures of heaven are with clouds and fat angel babies and all that stuff. It's not, it's, that's not the beauty of heaven. The beauty of heaven is it's an eternal relationship with Jesus. We're in heaven with Jesus. We have that intimacy with him for eternity. That's the reason he came. That's what heaven is all about. That's the beauty of it. It's not this eternal life. It's an extension of the relationship that we're called to today. And you might think, that's great. I get you, Adam. Like, I see why I never be in a sheep's fear. I see why fullness is relationship and all that stuff. But you might think, I, I don't know life to the full. I don't have that. You might think that your life's, your life's worse because you've chosen to follow Jesus. Or you might think your life's better because you don't follow Jesus. You might look at your friends that don't follow Jesus and say that you're missing out. You might look at someone and say, I want their life. If only I didn't follow Jesus, I could have their life. I could have their spouse. My Friday night could look like their Friday night. I might be able, might be able to buy a new car because I wasn't giving money to Alpha. I was giving money to G2. The point is, you might feel like you've lost something to follow Jesus. You might feel like you've missed out on something in order to be a Christian. And you might think that you can't do this or you can't do that. I can't go and do this thing. or I can't have that adventure or that excitement um, because I've got this restriction on me of being a Christian. Uh, that's why I can't have life to the full. Um, but Jesus instead that Jesus says instead that instead of doing things and trying to know things, he instead calls us to a life where we are known and loved beyond our understanding and beyond our knowledge. Life to the full isn't a situation where we take blind happiness 24-7. We don't naively think that life's great all the time, life's an adventure all the time. It's not all rosy in the garden. It's not like Louis Tomlinson and One Directions here. It's not living for the moment all the time, full on adrenaline excitement. Because life's not like that. Adversity happens. Jesus says to us, take heart, I've overcome the world. But you will experience struggle in this world. You will have bad stuff happen. And we all know that. We've all probably got stories in our families and friends of stuff that goes wrong in life. It does happen. Um, we're trapped in this tension between life to the full as a stereotyped adventure, but the guaranteed adversity of the world. And how do we temper that? How do we work it out? It's so frustrating trying to reconcile the tension between adventure and adversity. But Jesus says that contentment is in him. Jesus says that you can face all trials in all circumstances and find your strength and your peace in him. And life to the full is all about having a knowledge of relationship before you do things. Before you go on your adventures, before you go through adversity, know Jesus. And that, that's hard to understand. And I don't think we're ever going to fully understand that on this earth. Holly mentioned that last week. We're never meant to understand that on this earth. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 3 
The prayer that Paul, Paul gives to his church in Ephesus that he's writing, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul describes the love of Jesus that we talked about, and having life to the full, as surpassing our knowledge. It exceeds what we can understand. It exceeds what we could know. We can't get a hedge on it. It's that good. There's another translation of the Bible where Paul's prayer is said like this. I pray that you may really come to know, practically and for experiencing it for yourselves, the love of Christ, which far surpasses your mere knowledge. And I pray that you may be filled through all of your being with all the fullness of God. And you may have the richest measure of his design presence and become a body entirely filled and flooded with God himself. That's what fullness is in the Bible. That's what fullness is in relationship with God. It's that richest measure of God's divine presence in our lives. It's not just more or okay or a little bit better. It's extravagant and incomprehensible fullness because it's Jesus. And we live our lives pursuing this fullness, knowing that eternal destiny that we mentioned earlier. Knowing that thing of Jesus come to bring us into eternal life. He's given us, given us that hope for the future. And that's something that also resonates in, in our culture, which we, we, do this, we do life trying to prove ourselves, trying to do things, but when we get to the end of life, what, what do we think? What do we say? Do we think, oh, I wish I'd got a better car. I wish I'd gone out on Friday nights more. I wish I'd eaten more shreddies. I wish I'd sent more late night tweets. Probably not. In fact, uh, there's research carried out by this Australian palliative care nurse. Uh, she worked in palliative care, which is hospices, uh, over 20 years, and uh, she wrote a book where she identified the five main regrets that people have on their deathbed. And these five regrets are, starting with number five, I wish I'd let myself be happier. I wish I'd found out what happiness was and worked that out for myself. Number four, I wish I'd invested more in friendships. I wish I'd taken time to build deep relationships and know people more. Third one, I wish I'd had more courage. I wish I'd tried more things in the sense of adventure and had more courage to do things I was a bit afraid of. Second one, I wish I'd worked less and rested more. Saying, I'd rather be before I do. And the main regret that people had, this Australian nurse found out over 20 years of research, was I wish that I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others expected of me. And life to full, life to the full is all about being obsessed with knowing Jesus, about grappling with the fullness of his love, having that richest measure of his divine presence, and being filled to overflow with the knowledge of him. But do you think that that regret is, does that relate to you? Do you think, actually, I wish I had the courage to live that life? I wish I wasn't worried about what people expected of me. Um, do you actually live true to yourself? Or do you live with that slight tinge of regret that you're not somebody else and you can't do that certain thing? Do you think, I wish I could have that spouse, that partner, that Friday night. I wish I could have those clothes, those things, those cars, those holidays that everyone else has. Do you look elsewhere all the time? Do you feel like you're missing out because you chose to follow Jesus? No, you aren't. You aren't missing out. 
It's not boring to follow Jesus. It's not boring to be a Christian. It's not boring or regretful, personally knowing the Saviour of the world and the creator of the universe, and you are not missing out in choosing to follow him. We have this lie that perpetuates through our culture, which saps our energy and our time in saying, try and do more, try and be better, try and look elsewhere, look over here, look what I've got, look over here, look what you can have. All that. But we have this, that lie, and it saps us of our energy and time in exploring the truth of God's promises to us. And I, time wasting is a big thing for, for me. So every time I get up in the morning, my alarm goes off, and the first thing I do is switch off airplane mode, and I go on Facebook. And I scroll through Facebook, see what notifications I've missed, not normally many. Go, and then I go on Instagram, and I go on my Instagram, my other social media account, and I think, what's happened here? Again, not missed much. Popular. Then I go on Twitter, and it's literally nothing on Twitter anymore, it's dying out. Nothing's happening on Twitter. Okay, social media futurism with Madame Baker. Then I go on BBC News, and I have this routine where I scroll through these apps and try and work out more and see more what's going on in the world and know more about what's happening. And I do it again without realising, so I'll close Facebook, move on, then I'll come back to Facebook, close it and move on. And by the time I've done that, I've wasted 30 minutes of my morning. And I've not made any effort to prioritise relationship with Jesus. I've not made any effort. By the time I get around to reading my Bible, I'm like, uh, uh, Bible, uh, God, yeah, you're great, uh, amen, thank you, bless me. And I'm gone. And I speak that quickly when I pray. And I rush through it and it's like, ah, not resting. Not actually having time for that relationship. And it may not be your morning routine where you, where you find that hard. It may be just your general life. You may feel like, actually, I've got kids that just scream at me all the time. I've got people... Wanting my attention, wanting my time, my phone doesn't stop pinging. There's stuff that distracts us from prioritising relationship. The reason we find life to the full heart to grasp is because we don't make time for the relationship. We don't invest in seeking to understand Jesus and know who he is truly to us and know who we are truly in him. And you can have a million and one excuses. I've got a million and one excuses. I'm preaching right on myself when I say this. There's always going to be things that we're going to try and prioritise over a relationship. There's always going to be things that are going to be hard, or hard than make it hard to follow Jesus. And we're always going to look elsewhere and see actually that's better. Following that way is better, like getting high, getting drunk, doing this temporarily, that's better. We're always going to think that's always going to be something that's going to hold us back. But don't ever for a second, church, believe the lie that following Jesus is boring. Don't ever for a second believe that Christianity is boring. And some of you may even live your lives. And you might, you, you might think that Christianity is not boring, but reality check, people might think that Christianity is boring because of how you live your life. And that's heavy, and I probably think the same of myself. If people think to me, because I don't do things or say something, am I boring? Um, but it's a complete lie, and we can't let ourselves believe that in trying to follow Jesus. In a culture that says, look what they've got, God says to us, give what we've got. Lay down who we are and know him as our shepherd. Jesus' teachings confront a culture of lies and comparison and says to us that we are called to know him as our shepherd. And those keys to freedom from being better, from doing more, from a dissatisfying life. As Christians, I believe that we have the inside story. In the, in the book of Philippians it says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, adventure and adversity. I can do all things, face all things, endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
all that life throws at you, all that it weighs down on your conscience, that it calls you to, that it leads you to, is far easier to face when you accept that you're a sheep known by a perfect, self-sacrificial shepherd who loves you. That's true freedom. That's true fullness. That's life to the full. Following Jesus is not boring. There's nothing better than following Jesus. And if you don't believe me, you've got to try and live it. You've got to try and go for it. You've got to try and wrestle with that fullness. What does that actually mean? You've got to take time to invest in that relationship. You've got to work out what are those barriers that I put in my life that distract me, that call me elsewhere, that stop me from understanding life to the full. We're going to go into a time of worship now, and we're going to sing that song, Crowns, that that Matt introduced to us earlier. And I'm going to read through the chorus just as the band get up. And as I talk you through this, and as we read through it, they're not going to play yet, don't worry. I just really want you to think about this. I really want you to consider these lyrics. Could we get the lyrics up behind me, actually? That's possible. That'd be great. Yeah. What these mean to you. How these affect how you live life to the full. My wealth is in the cross. There's nothing more I want than just to know his love. My heart is set on Christ, and I will count all else as loss. The greatest of my crowns, my big boxes of shreddies, my late night tweets, my nicer cars, my Friday nights are missing out on my better jobs, mean nothing to me now. For I've counted up the cost, and all my wealth is in the cross. All my wealth is in knowing Jesus and having a proper freeing and fulfilling relationship with him. Take time to consider this as we worship God together now and as you head home from church today. And do you genuinely believe that this life of fullness, knowing Jesus, is better than the things it's cost you? Do you genuinely believe that fullness eclipses more? Do you genuinely accept that you're a sheep but you're known by a perfect and loving shepherd? And if you do accept that, Are you ready to actually live like it?